Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from an, I suppose, an undisclosed location in New Jersey. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney, what's up, brother? Why are you talking with such an inflection? Because uh, I, when I don't know your exact whereabouts, it <laughs> makes me nervous. Uh, I feel uncomfortable, like I'm not in control. Do you know why I'm not comfortable and I'm not in control right now? Why is that? Because I don't know where to start this podcast. I oh. don't know where to begin. Yeah. It's like, should we start with, you know, Holland? Should we start with Wagatha Christie? Could we start with the the total arrogance of FIFA deciding, hey, EA Sports, we don't need you. We're moving on. Where to begin? You're right. Uh, that's the thing. I saw somebody either on Twitter or one of the animals on Reddit, I forget, made a, some kind of reference to the fact that uh, I haven't complained in, in months about how long these podcasts are going. And, <laughs> and it's because of days like this where I – you just got to give up. You got to throw your hands up in the air, say there's too much going on in the sport. We can't be confined by time. So we're just going to go. And look, this is that's how I see I view this. You can come and go as you please. Listen to some, you can turn it off, go to the next thing if you want to come back later. That's great. So we'll just keep we'll just be here for you. Uh but actually JJ, I think the natural place to start is in France where Marcelo was dropped from Lyon's first team for farting and laughing in the dressing room. This is clearly Which is exactly, the top story of the week. If you were to be cut from a team, this is exactly how it would happen. <laughs> first of all, I don't know that I've ever farted in front of you, so I don't you, think that you're qualified to say this. You've never let one rip in front of me, nor have I let one rip in front of you. However, I know your, your sensibilities and your sense of humor. You would just oh, love yeah. th- to be in a locker room Brewing up some rectal gas and see what happens if you let one rip. I mean, let's just be honest with each other. Like we can we can grow older and mature in many ways, but when you get right down to it, there's nothing quite like a good low rumbling full of bass fart. Nothing like it. Nothing. One of my favorites. Especially, uh, by the way, in this case, when it was done while the team captain was giving a speech to try and rally the team after a three nil defeat. Just perfect. You can imagine the captain's been building up to this. You know, what happens if we lose? How do I pull this around? I'm going to make a speech that these guys remember. I'm going to make a speech that when these guys have retired and they're writing their memoirs, they'll talk about me. And it's interrupted with just an absolute ripper. (laughs) And it's the laughing afterwards that's the real cherry on top. Like, not embarrassed, not trying to look around and be like, oh, that wasn't me. Was that you? No, no, no. No, owning. He just owns it in the middle of a, of a speech like that. Well, I you got to respect it. Once it's out there, you know, you have two options. You can be really embarrassed about it, or you can just lean into what you've done. He leaned in. He leaned right on in. No, that's that's obviously that's all jokes and silliness, JJ. The the what I think the natural place to start is the biggest news from the last twenty four hours. Uh, we don't like to deal in transfer rumors. We've said that on many an occasion. But when rumor becomes fact, well, then it is no longer a rumor. Erling Holland, JJ, arguably the most coveted player on the planet, signing for Manchester City. His release clause activated. In a deal that probably goes down as 
I mean, one of the most ridiculous that I can remember. Like on the open market, I don't think it's crazy to think this guy goes for $200 million, given his age and his talent. And instead, it's a 51.2 million pound release clause. Uh, what can you even say but the rich getting richer? This is a, a deal that I think a lot of people around the Premier League will look at and and weep and and weep, quite frankly. Yeah, it's it, it, the response has actually been pretty negative uh, to this to this transfer because of that very fact that now it seems. Manchester City are throwing off the shackles. So instead of the kind of steady build, now huge injections of money, but steady build of your 60, you know, $60 million players who would fit into the system, the last two uh, windows or certainly the last two years have shown a kind of an uh, an abandon. You know, Jack Grealish will pay $100 million for him and he'll play half the minutes. Now, I don't expect this to be the case with Haaland, but um, but yeah, it's he is the big ticket signing that City really haven't done in a long, long time, and not since the early days of of the injections of cash into into the club. So it's, I mean, he's the hot, he was he was going to be the hottest property on the market this summer. Absolutely, we've been, we've been saved a protracted. Um, you know, transfer transfer saga. That's not going to happen now. City have the wherewithal to pay him the wages that they're gonna. And yeah, it's. I don't know. There's a lot of people who are saying going to City now is just, you know, for Holland. Like, there's almost a romanticism about where he would have ended up at, like a Real Madrid, like a Barcelona. And that going to City is the the cold, sterile move to win lots and lots of trophies. And I'm sure that Team Haaland figured this one out and decided this is the place to go. This is it's the best league to go to. It's the top team in that league, and it's the team in contention for trophies every single season. And beyond that, I mean, there there are two other factors with it. One you could roll your eyes at, but you talk about romanticism his father played for that club so maybe there is some sort of kind of feeling within him about some kind of bond with well, Manchester City and that fan base sorry Andrew but like when we spoke to Jan Agafjortoft who was close to Team Holland, and this was a team effort including the recently departed Mina Raiola this was going to be a football mm, that's true and a, a very much a, an all-round uh, football decision which is why Amer- which is why the second point for me is probably even more so like the fit for him to go there Manchester City are arguably I mean now with them out of the Champions League it becomes a little more arguable but we still kind of look at them as as the best team in the world and they've managed to be that without really having a true striker like if Holland wants to go elsewhere you know, if he wants to go to Real Madrid, okay, well, there's talk of Mbappe going there. But if Holland were to go there, that would probably mean Mbappe's not. But Karim Benzema right now is the man at that club. He's going to probably win the Ballon d'Or. Like, you know, they'll play together, but is that as natural a fit as he might want? I don't know. Like Manchester City, they have this this spot just like beckoning for someone to come and please be this guy for us. We've managed to win without it because we're gifted and we've got maybe the greatest manager on the planet. But like, we'd like to have someone do this. It's arguably the most important position that there is in this game 
Uh, so just from a, a purely footballing sense, like you said, like you laid out, A, they're they're a great team. The league is, is as high profile as it gets. But the need for someone like him is, I mean, it's, it's glaring. So I think it, I really think it, it makes sense on every level. And I know people don't love it because it's going to cut back significantly in a league that's already starting to hurt in a way, in the way of parity. This yeah. hurts that even more, I believe. Um, but it does make sense. I understand why this would be his choice. And I don't, I don't necessarily fault him for it. He's netted 85 times for Dortmund in just 88 games. A precise ratio of 0.96 goals per game. 61 goals in 66 Bundesliga games. Mm. 15 goals in 13 Champions League matches in, in, a, in a bad Champions League team. Eight goals in seven DFB Pokal games and one goal in two German Super Cup appearances. Look, he's 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 brilliant and it's depressing for a lot of other clubs that City can have the wherewithal to go and do these things. Um, I talked about some of the negative reaction. Uh, Jossie Mar Football, which is the leading uh, soccer magazine in Norway, had this to say. Erling Haaland has publicly emerged as a supporter of human rights. Now he has signed for a club owned by individuals and a regime that could not care about very basic human rights. And this we should rejoice for? Question mark. It's like calling the Qatar World Cup a folk festival. So that's translated from Norwegian, obviously, but um, that's the other side to it as well. It's for we've seen the stance that the Norwegian Football Association, that some Norwegian players, including Haaland, have taken over the Qatari World Cup. And this transfer does fly in the face of that. But on the other side, the argument you could make is that, well, where else is Haaland going? The options are hugely limited. Manchester United in the race for Haaland were there. I would say they were there at the end of last season. It was still a possibility that they could do it. They've since shot themselves in the foot and set themselves on fire and completely taken themselves out of that race. Barcelona, the precise funding of the club, we don't understand. Real Madrid, like you've pointed out, Benzema, plus Mbappe, plus Haaland. Does that work? Um and then after that, Chelsea can't sign him. Uh, Liverpool probably wouldn't sign him. He would not be in their their model. I um, mean, the the other one would PSG. What, he's not going to go to France. Why would he probably go to an inferior league from whence he's come? Yeah, I mean, Bayern is is the one where you could say, okay, maybe, but you know, didn't as, seem likely. It seemed no, as if it didn't. And like Lewandowski, the thing that is questionable there is Lewandowski's future. Like if he leaves, then I could see Byron really kicking into high gear, um, wanting to have gotten him, and maybe that will play out. But City, it is depressing though how how limited it, it the the options for top players are now in Europe. Oh, dude, we 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 go through this exercise every time a great manager becomes available. We say, well, there's really only four clubs where he can coach at. Like it's crazy. That's sort of how this sport has has become and it is kind of sad um yeah but um so that's some some of the reaction to and, it and you know too jj you mentioned manchester united there's a couple things that were interesting for me regarding that i was reading there's there's a great piece at espn fc um i think it's rob dawson who who authored it and um he talks about united and the interest there and a couple things that happened with that one um you know his relationship with Solskjaer and whether or not 
his firing completely destroyed any chance of of Holland deciding to go and play there because there was some belief that that if so if Holland was going to choose them it was going to have to be because of that relationship because in terms of what was going on behind the scenes or on the field like you couldn't really make the argument that United are the, are the appealing choice right now um so when Solskjaer was fired did that mean the end of this pursuit there are those that say that 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 didn't really have any bearing on this who knows if that's true or not I guess we'll never really know and the other thing that adds just like a cruel twist to this almost um so in this in this piece where they talk about um how holland is now going to city city were able to help fund this partially because i'm reading here by coincidence the 12 million euros paid to manchester city as part of Jaden sancho's move to old trafford courtesy of a clause inserted part of his move from the etihad to dortmund in 2017 helped city quickly put together the financial framework needed to eventually secure holland so in some ways, Manchester United partially funded Manchester City's ability to buy Erling Holland, a player that Manchester United would have loved to have had. That is just a cruel slap to the face from one city rival to the other. I'm, I'm sure there's financial there's financial particles to this that I can't see or understand. Uh, and you know I love dancing on the grave of Manchester United. No, uh, but I'm not uh, I'm not buying that that uh, that. I don't buy that at all. That city, that city needed any help getting the money together for this. Well, it's, we, I mean, it's just that's not that's not possible. An- another thing that was that was pointed out about Manchester City is the the kind of you know position they find themselves in now is that we we know the article in in Der Spiegel and the documents j- lining out specifically how they've become the richest club in the world through revenue. <laughs> so I guess when you report that this is all the money you have, you have to spend it, you know, mm-hmm. otherwise there's, there's some kind of disconnect. All right, you have all this money, but, and, and city it's either one of two things. They're, they're, they've decided, look, everybody knows how we do this now. Everybody knows what we are. Let's just lean into it. Nobody's going to love us. Nobody's going to, take us as seriously as a you know one of the elite level clubs one of the storied clubs we're a new money club let's just lean into it splash that money around and uh, and buy the best players and go for it and that seems to be what they're doing so my question to you to close out on this portion of the discussion um i, I mentioned at the top of this how there will be fans of this league who will be disappointed by this because of what it means to the parity of this league uh, Manchester City are already great, but Liverpool have been right there with them step for step, pushing them in a way that pretty much no one else has in the Premier League. Can that continue, or does a move like this, even though it's only one player and City, you know, maybe there will be players out the door. We already know Fernandinho's leaving, which is important. Um, can Liverpool keep pace or even get ahead of them, or does this just widen a gap to a, a point where it's it's almost not fair? I I, 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 should, I, I should include Chelsea in this conversation. I mean, too. you're. <laughs> You should include Chelsea. Yeah, moving well. Actually, no. If they can't sign players, I mean, they do, well. They, look, they have new ownership now, so presumably they will be able to sign players again. Yeah, no? but it's not going to be with the the largesse of the owner that they used to have. True. You know, it's not going to be with the the freewheeling like in the summer of twenty twenty two hundred million. Just uh, there you go. You're right. It's okay. not going to be like that again. You're I, right. I'm uh, sorry, not Chelsea. I meant Newcastle. <laughs> well, that's a better bet. Um, 
that's the challenge for Liverpool. That's the challenge for FSG ever since they bought into the league, basically. Um, I, you're asking me an imponderable uh, question that I, I, well, it's very ponderable. It's, very, actually. it's only ponderable. It's only ponderable. I, I think Liverpool can keep going. They've shown the levels of invention in the transfer market. Uh, they've shown the ability to keep pace with City with, with shrewd signings. Big issue now, Andrew, is we are now entering the post-Michael Edwards era at Liverpool. So the sporting director, um, that role, he was seen as absolutely crucial in their signings and and in making Liverpool what they are and in making them be competitive against the money of Manchester City. And they have a new uh, sporting director coming in, uh, Julian Ward. So pressure's on, Julian. Yeah. I mean, obviously the big questions for them, one of them they they have figured out already, and that is Klopp, who signed an extension. As long as he's there, I just believe they'll be great. That's kind of my faith in him as a manager. He's he's that good. And his system, you know, the way he gets guys to buy in, the way they seem to go out and get guys that they know will work. You know, the the other question is going to be Salah and what happens with that contract. And that's one that, quite frankly, we don't know. Um, well, if the reports in the Daily Mail are to be believed, neither Salah, Mane, or Firmino will be offered new contracts, mm. which... I, I don't like that. I, I, as confident as I am in, in, in our newer signings, <laughs> I wouldn't be gutting that. Uh, I expect one of them to move on, but of the three, I didn't expect it to be, well, all three. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's. I mean, who you but said Salamane and Firmino. Firmino I could envision because it seems like he's become sort of an in-and-out-of-the-first-team type player, and they've got reinforcements in, whether it's Jota or, I mean, Good Lord, like, what is the ceiling for Luis Diaz as a player? I, I really don't know how good he could wind up being. So I still think they're in good shape. Their back line, there's no reason to think that that's not going to continue to be great. Um, so I, I don't see – I think Liverpool can keep pace. I'm Maybe that's naive, but I think they can. I mean, look, a lot of it – there's a World Cup in the middle of next season. We have no idea how injuries are going to shape – teams and while city are renowned for their depth we've come to find out that so are liverpool uh so um i i think that we will still see those two at the top and whether or not a third team can be involved that's that's hard to say right now if you are looking for for any reason to think that signing holland isn't necessarily a lockdown this is this makes city the greatest thing ever this is from espnfc um in talking about the move, they write, Sources have told ESPN that Chelsea scouts raised concerns about whether Holland's style of play would be suited to the Premier League because there's less space for forward players to attack and run into compared with the Bundesliga. Recruitment staff at Barcelona reported back that they had reservations about his personality and character. Real Madrid, according to sources, took issue with his injury record. He's missed 17 club games this season, mainly because of muscular problems. So he's amazing, but if this report is to be believed... There are certain red flags. Now, I'm sure every one of those teams that I just mentioned, Chelsea, Barcelona, and Real Madrid, still would have signed him without blinking an eye, despite whatever these red flags are. Um, so he's that I mean, great where he's worth whatever that risk is, he's worth taking that chance on. And I believe he'll deliver for City. But, and I could, but I these could, are some uh, small things. The muscular problem, the muscular injury stuff in particular. I, I could deliver you the same red flags about spending $100 million on Romelu Lukaku. You know, so and and Chelsea went ahead and did that. So I'm. Uh, and it didn't work. And it didn't work. We'll we'll see. We'll see. 
Well, there you go. Erling Holland coming to a Premier League near you. And by the way, that's the other part of this, finally, uh, that is really like if you're City, you got to really be smiling about. They got this done now. Like, there's not going to be any last-second transfer business where we're, you know, a month into the season already, and then it's going to take him another month to acclimate. Like, he's going to be with them on their preseason tour. There was no way they were going to let it drag like like what happened with Harry Kane. There was just no chance. This was getting done. They were going to act quickly. And I think they were acting, I'd say, from the minute that the Kane deal was not going to happen, that Tottenham dug their feet in, I'd say City were on to Haaland straight away. Yeah. Uh, so let's continue now, JJ, and we move on and we talk about, well, I guess we'll stay sort of with the Holland theme here and, and look at the top of the table and the battle going on between City and Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool, of course, played yesterday. City playing today. By the time you've listened to this, maybe it's happened. Uh, a narrow win, early goal yesterday for Aston Villa. I'm sure got Liverpool fans a little bit nervous, uh, but as they tend to do, Liverpool are never out of a game. They come back, score minutes after that initial opener, and then Sadio Mane with the, uh, delivers the, the winning blow in the 60, what was it, 65th. Um, and Liverpool, they keep pace. They're right there, step for step. They're not going to make this easy for Man City. Well, I mean, the weekend was such a, such a disappointment that they couldn't put Tottenham away. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a general feeling they're I mean, there was no room for error. There is no room for error. So yesterday was important. It was a brilliant header from Mane. thought Liverpool looked leggy. They did look tired. But this is a part of the season where it's just about grinding out wins. Uh, unless you have the luxury of being City and you can hammer Newcastle 5-0, which was far from grinding it out. Um, <laughs> it's just destroyed them. But no, it was it was important. It was an away game, Villa Park, um, you know, against a team that, had its kind of tricky run of form and now seems to be doing a little bit better. Still figuring things out under Steven Gerrard, but, you know, a, a tricky assignment. And Liverpool got through it. And honestly, Andrew, that's all it's about. Get through it. Get on to the next one. Three points. Um, but it does it does feel a little bit like uh, Liverpool are running out of gas just a tiny little bit. I mean, that is the challenge of, of contending for four major trophies in a yeah. season. You know, that's... That's physical wear and tear just as much. That's mental wear and tear. Like they're just like, I don't know, the men- the ability to mentally be at the top of your game every single game in every competition, like it's asking, it's asking an awful lot. Uh, and you need a big squad to do it, and they've taken advantage of that, certainly. Um, but it's tough. I don't know, to say they're running out of gas. <sighs> I don't say the, – the performance is like it was a heavy-legged performance at the weekend – against a good side, albeit. And it was another one on the road again. Tough one. Few changes that Klopp made to the lineup as well. Um, and then, you know, obviously there's the break and there's the FA Cup final on Saturday. So it's just... They're only human. Uh, depth is everything, but also there there will be... A, there seemed to be a certain amount of weariness about that performance yesterday. And, and certainly, I think Villa, Villa were unlucky not to take something out of it. Um, but again, again, it's especially in terms of the league, it's just about it's just about winning and just keeping this thing, this fire burning right to the end mm-hmm. as much as possible. Um, the other games are they're kind of different because they require 
it's a different kind of mental fortitude for 90, 120 minutes in a cup final, which is what Liverpool are facing in their in their next two cup games, the FA Cup final and the Champions League final. You can almost compartmentalise those as a player. Um, but but the league, the grind of the league, um, and knowing that probably you might have blown it at the weekend. And not blown it. <laughs> they always needed City to, to slip up after they didn't win at the Etihad um, last month, they always needed slip, uh, City to slip up, and that hasn't happened yet. Should we talk a, a little bit about what happened over the weekend? I mean, it was a caught offside cup. Wound up being we have a, to talk about wound it, up of being course. a somewhat controversial one. One-one um, was the final, uh, and then afterwards, what I'm, I'm I have a feeling people <laughs> will be curious for our thoughts on uh, Jurgen Klopp. Uh, spoke after the match. Now, I should say, before I even read his post-match comments, he has since come out and kind of walked them back a little bit. But I tend, I don't know, I tend to think sometimes... He regularly says these things. <laughs> so I, I think that he he was walking them back only out of some kind of respect for Antonio Conte. Um, but I think his initial comments are, are probably how he genuinely feels, if you ever like shot him up with truth serum. Uh, he said afterwards about I guess, about Tottenham and the way they played. I'm sorry I'm the wrong person to ask uh, because I don't like this kind of football, but this is my personal problem. I think they're world-class, and I think they should do more for the game. It's a game against Liverpool, and they have 36% possession, but that's my problem. I cannot coach it. So that is what I cannot do. World-class players who block all the balls. It's really difficult. Fine, whatever. It's just I can't. But, yes, I respect everything they do, (laughs) but it's not me. Um, <laughs> that line is great. Fine, whatever. It's just I can't. Yeah. It's, that's such a modern phrase. I can't with this right now. I mean, but the next line is the hilarious one. But yeah, I respect everything they do. Oh yeah, it's, it sounds like it. Sure you do. Um, okay, I, I'll start with the the question of whether or not he has a point because you could look at this and say that Tottenham do have world class players in Kane and Son. You know, and Kane is asked to come back and defend, and and he does block balls. Uh, you know, I've seen it through the course of the season. And Tottenham, you know, for however for however they view this point, going to Anfield and getting a draw, uh, a win really could have been helpful for them, given their battle right now with Arsenal. This yeah, and they could have won it, and they potentially could have. They um, played like Klopp does this regularly, and <sighs> Tottenham played well, and Conte put together a good game plan, and it's not like they weren't, you know, like they were completely ineffective. You know, they just camped in there and tried to defend because ultimately Liverpool would have probably beaten them. What they did was they carried a very organized and dangerous threat on the break through Son and Kane. Mm-hmm. And the goal they scored was really, really good. So I know it's Jurgen Klopp has said it, I think it was last season during that pretty pretty terrible run in the spring, which destroyed the entire season for Liverpool and had them chasing fourth place. But he said, I'm not a good loser. I'm a very bad loser. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he is. Uh, I, the way he talked about Conte there. Think of Conte. Think of the things he's done in the game. Think of his the merits of his coaching. Mm-hmm. He was kind of lumping him in there almost with like an Allardyce, you know, or a Warnock. You know, it's all about blocking, sitting back, you know. Not not try only one team tried to play is used to be the classic one. That is not what Conte is doing. Spurs are better than that. They proved it at the weekend. Liverpool, all right, they just couldn't get the rhythm going. It wasn't as fluid. One thing I will say about the game, 
in the first 10 minutes, you felt like Liverpool were going to blow Tottenham away. And I, I got that feeling. If Liverpool don't score here, this drags on a little bit. It's, it's going to be tougher and tougher and tougher. And it was. Mm -hmm. And in the end, Liverpool were chasing the game. And it took a lucky deflection to, you know, it's not like Liverpool regularly cut Spurs open. In fact, you could make an argument that Spurs had the better, more clear-cut chances. So I, I, I just don't buy into that with, with Klopp. I mean, I don't think he should talk like that, personally. I wouldn't be... Of course he shouldn't. I wouldn't be for, uh, for telling Jurgen Klopp what to do. I this, mean, we all love the man, but this, I don't... This stuff, JJ, we see this from Klopp. We see this, like, weirdly, like, kind of a lot. Not necessarily managers reprimanding other managers on how to play, but the media mad at a team for how they play. Like, this, this stuff kind of blows my mind as much as anything from this sport. This idea of, like, demanding a team play a style that is more conducive to what the other team can defeat. Like, why? This this worked for Tottenham with the way they set out to play. But uh, it was good play. It, was, it wasn't just slashing at things. It wasn't sitting defending. No, but, but your... they, they look, they, it is what they did, though. Like, Klopp's not necessarily wrong. They did. They put a lot of guys behind the ball. They put a lot in their back line. I mean, this was for but they also Romero, really good Dyer, but they... and, and Ben Davies. This was among the best performances from all three of those guys in any game this season. A lot was right, put but, on them, and they and they rose to the occasion. But they had really good patterns of play, too. Yeah, the goal they scored was beautiful. But, like, I'm not ashamed of it. They tried. They they defended like hell against a team that is far superior to them. And, by the way, Tottenham play like this a lot this, over the course of the season. Counterattacking is one of the marquee and, and primary ways that they get their goals. They're really good at it. Uh, and they, you know, Conte has turned... Ben Davies into a good defender and so like he was willing to to put a lot on him and he was great um look here's the way I look at it JJ Tottenham are 24 points worse than Liverpool in the table so like 24 points worse than Spurs would be a club on 38 points which there is no club on 38 points but if there were that team would be 16th in the table okay that's the gap maybe it doesn't say it in the table but like that's the gap between Liverpool and Tottenham like, I would expect a club who's 16th in the table going to play a, a game at White Hart Lane to change the way they play or to, like, set up in a more defensive style to try to get a draw. That would be a, that would be a positive result for a team like that. So, like, it's, take it as a compliment, Jurgen. Like, this is – your team is, is terrifying to go up against. It's, he's not going to take it as a compliment after the game – after losing a point in the game, that's probably going to cost no, Liverpool any chance. It's it's not about that. It's just, just he's don't a sore say loser. He, you you hit on it, and Klopp knows it. And Klopp knows, I think, with you know, with time having passed, that it was probably the right way for Tottenham to have played. But he's in the moment. He's he's a sore loser. He just is. Um, yeah, and it, and you're not you're not going to get Pep Guardiola playing you every month. You know. Mm -hmm. Don't forget that that game last month was two teams who have uncompromising styles when it comes to the way that they play. And it ended up in a 2-2 draw. That's it's just it's not going to happen with other teams. Yeah. I saw, you can't like, expect them to 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 just face down the gunfire no, of Liverpool not. and Manchester City. I mean, we could roll Pep's are we just going to do a grumpy manager section because we can well, roll in a Pep. sec in a sec cuz I I wanted to while we were on Liverpool I just wanted to talk about one other thing with you that I was curious about, um, and then we'll get to Pep and and his comments. Um, but I saw this, and I wonder 
you as a, a supporter of the club, how you take it, it feels like in the wake of that defeat, there was this real letdown from Liverpool supporters, which I fully understand because it kind of— Which kinda, defeat? Not defeat, draw, I'm sorry. Exactly. It, 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 it felt like a defeat for what it meant and, in their pursuit of Manchester City. And um, a quick thing, a 1-1 draw at home, like that's the ridiculous standards that have yeah. been set in the last few seasons. It sh- against Tottenham shouldn't be this moment of mourning. Well, but it only is in the context of what it, of of what it means. Like you're right, if that happened mid-season, I don't know that it would be taken that way, but like we're at the business end here. This is it now. So like they they kind of needed a win and yes. it feels like there was a little bit of this letdown and then you almost had to like remind Liverpool fans of wait a minute, you're still in the FA Cup final. And like, oh, by the way, you're still in the Champions League final. Jamie Carragher made a comment. He said, How many leagues are there in Europe? Only one team can win the Champions League. You're not seen as a giant of a club until you win the Champions League. That's a fact. Like, it felt like Carragher, he's made other comments where it feels like he's almost rallying the troops to like, not, we can't have this moment where we hang our heads. If the league doesn't go the way we want, we still have the opportunity to prove that we're the best team in Europe. Do you get that sense that Liverpool fans were so dead set on trying to top Manchester City that if they can't do that, it, it's going to be a dent in what could still be an unbelievable season? Um, there was, a, I think, the belief in the quad had grown to to such a point and was kind of backed up by by some of the some of the just unbelievable levels of performance that. Yeah, I think, I think taking that away from from Liverpool fans has has, has lowered them a bit. But uh-huh. I, I I got that. I definitely got that sense because um, I was amongst Liverpool fans on Saturday for the game, and yeah, there was there was a little bit of deflation. There was a lot of people saying we're still in this, which they are. Um, there was a lot of grasping at straws. There is a straw shortage now in the Greater Brooklyn area because of all the grasping that's going on by Liverpool fans, but um, also. I, more than one person said, we're absolutely spoiled. Just absolutely spoiled. This game, a 1-1 draw against Tottenham, you know, FA Cup final on Saturday, Champions League final in, in three weeks' time. You know, just completely and utterly and totally spoiled if we're going to be too um, too downcast about that result. And so then we go to the city side of this, if you want to talk about grumpy managers. Pep then spoke, and he, <laughs> and he says this. He says, everyone in this country supports Liverpool, the media and everyone. Of course, because Liverpool has an incredible history in European competition, not in Premier Leagues, because they've won one in 30 years. But it's Ooh, not a problem. salty. <laughs> yeah, but it's not a problem at all. Liverpool, alongside United, it's the most famous team with what they've done in history in terms of titles, legacy, history, dramas for many, many things. But we are, for the last 10, 11, 12 years, coming there. I know we are sometimes uncomfortable, but I don't care. The people want Liverpool to win more than us. It's not an issue. It's normal. Maybe they have more supporters all around the world, and in England, maybe more support Liverpool than us. Well, yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs> That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, that was a weird one from Pep. Um, See, this flies in the face, JJ, a little bit of what you said earlier, of City leaning into sort of villain status. Yeah, they can't have it both ways. Yeah, you can't... It's hard to be this club uh, that kind of formed the way that they did and continues to to buy the world's talent the way that they do but and Pep, and then expect to be beloved. It's it's just not going to be that way. And yeah, I, and, and I mean, Pep does try to kind of 
balance uh, mental, do mental gymnastics in his mind to try and figure out where City are. Well, you're either a big club or you're not. And when he talks about maybe we don't have as many supporters, he's kind of casting them as a small club. But we all know how much, we all know how the money is generated. We all know where, why they are where they are after years of being a, a club that would get relegated or was in the relegated conversation. And yeah, now he's, he's trying to, I, I don't know, maybe it's a realization that. If you look at the clubs he's managed, look at the club he played for Barcelona. Look at the history of that club. If you look at the the history of Bayern Munich, you know, this is a kind of a unique situation. He's going into a, a club or he's gone into a club with all the the structures of a, of a massive, massive club, but without either the supporters or, or the grand history. And they'll never be Manchester United. United could get relegated. This Manchester City will still never be Manchester United. They'll never be Liverpool. And hanging over them also is the fact that the way this was constructed, you know, they didn't rise from the from the ashes. And well, they did rise. They did rise from the ashes, but then they got bought out. You know, so it's just this difficult situation for him to be in, and he he doesn't really like it. He. I, the the one point he makes about you know Liverpool fans in the media, there are an awful lot of ex-Liverpool players in the English media writing columns, mm-hmm. uh, presenting TV, you know, wherever on the radio, and that's because they are successful. They were successful in the past. Their voices people recognize and can associate with success, and they want to hear what they say. Who are City going to have from the past? Steve Lomas, Niall Quinn, you know. That's the difference. Pep is grappling with the fact that you can't recreate a history that wasn't there. The question I wanted to ask about this is like, okay, Pep is right in that no one's really rooting for City. What about the other side of this? Like, okay, you can say that there are Liverpool guys in the media and maybe that's influencing things one way or another. But I don't know anyone. I have a lot of friends that love this sport. I don't know a single one of them that will take any joy, even an ounce None. or scintilla of joy in watching Liverpool win this over City. This is this is a title race year after year between these two teams that I think most fans maybe enjoy as a neutral because I think we can all appreciate the level of talent that these two teams have and, and how great they are. But in terms of like enjoyment, the only title that I can remember recently where it felt like people were clearly rooting was Leicester City. And of course it was Tottenham at the expense of that. But like in terms of this, like I don't think anyone other than Liverpool fans are rooting for Liverpool to do this. I don't get that at all. Oh, no, the historic rivalries up and down the country, the beatings, the historical beatings so many of these teams have taken from Liverpool. No way. Yeah. There's no chance. It's you know, you've got Gary Neville right there at the very top, Manchester United, and you've got Carragher. These are the two these voices are the two voices that set the table in English football right now. Roy Keane probably coming in a third after them. And it's it's annoying for Pep to have to hear from, from these people all the time, rivals, mm-hmm. from rival clubs. And that's what he's talking about, people in the media, for sure. But supporters-wise, the, the Liverpool fans are not beloved. Like No. I... I as much as I absolutely love being a Liverpool fan, I totally understand how 
irritating we are to so many, so many people. So I don't know where he's coming up with that. So finally, JJ, to close this out, the the question that I have now is what is more likely to happen at the top of the table? Tottenham overtaking Arsenal for fourth or Liverpool overtaking City to win the league? And what I've done here, I've laid out the remaining fixtures for every one of these clubs, and I have made my predictions for every one of these games. Um, and I, I won't go through each one, but I will tell you the way I have it. I have Liverpool winning their two remaining games, um, and I have City winning their remaining three games. So I do. Yeah. Ha- I have City uh, winning the title. Yeah. Uh, or, I mean, no, I'm sorry. I, I I actually have no no no. My my prediction was Liverpool beating Southampton, but then drawing with Wolves, uh, and then but City winning out. So 95 points for City, 90 for Liverpool is what I have. I mean, this is amazing stuff, Andrew. And How then, have you come up with this? And then for the <laughs> battle for top four, I mean, look, Thursday is, in, in my life as a Spurs fan, I can't think of many bigger. Might actually, I mean, it might be the biggest. Um, Tottenham obviously need to win to keep pace and give themselves a chance. I think they will. I have Tottenham overtaking Arsenal. I think uh, if you look, Spurs have Arsenal at home, Burnley at home, and they, they finish at Norwich. If you know Arsenal is obviously the tough one there, I think Tottenham will win. I think that game is kind of a toss-up, maybe leaning a little bit towards Spurs. I think Tottenham win it. And then the other two, I can't imagine them losing or dropping points to Burnley for a second time this season. And then Norwich the final day, like I just, I, I saw Tottenham blow a game against Newcastle when Newcastle were already going down, so it's possible. But I just can't see it. There's no reason to predict Norwich to do that. And then. Arsenal, I think they lose to Spurs. I think they draw at Newcastle, and I think they close out the season with a win at Everton. I think Tottenham beat them by a point. That's how I, I see wouldn't, it. I wouldn't dare touch that one. I honestly don't know how that, that one's going to go. The, I, the top I, four? I, I, my feeling is Arsenal will, will, will do it. Uh, but the unpredictability of these sides, I think Arsenal will finish fourth. It's going it to uh, be tight. It's going to be really tight. Oh, that game tomorrow. Oh my God, JJ! <laughs> it's, hard, it's, all, it's kind of hard to enjoy. Like I don't really no, they, know anyone they, who is like you. Kind but, of enjoy it when it's over if you win, but like the the process of going through that game is not. It's not. I don't know. I mean, I guess it'll be fun. It's certainly, the it's going to be one of the biggest games played in that new stadium since it's opened. Um, definitely is. Definitely is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. My gut says Arsenal, Andrew. You're not crazy. That's certainly, I mean, I think the percentages are in their favor. I think it was like 60-40, something like that on the SPI. You're right. It's. I just did the thing that I have told so many people is not worth doing, and that is looking at these fixtures and saying, okay, win, loss, or draw. Because it's, especially the top four race has been so unpredictable. Who the hell knows? But it will be fun, and it is fun having multiple races going into the final. I mean, Tottenham can still win tomorrow and not make it. Absolutely. If so Arsenal went out, that yeah. that feel that feels like a more likely scenario. Yeah, that is uh, that is certainly possible. God, what a game that should be tomorrow! Uh, all right, let's go ahead. Let's take a break, JJ. Unfortunately, we have some not so fun news to talk about coming up next. Um, I know that's not really a fun tease, but uh, I hope people don't leave. I hope you come. And we back have and... other fun news as well. No, come on, no, only darkness, <laughs> only darkness. All right, that's what you have to look forward to. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. All right, JJ, let's talk about it. 
Let's talk about it. It was clearly the most depressing thing that happened over the weekend. We have spoken in recent weeks when talking about the U.S. men's national team that you know we can go ahead and make whatever projections we want for the roster for the World Cup, but things are going to change because injuries are going to factor in. What I did not anticipate necessarily was that those injuries would begin in May. In May. But here we are, Miles Robinson, who I give all the credit in the world to, a guy who had to play his way onto this team. He was not handed anything. None of these guys were. But he's an MLS defender who was kind of an outside, given an outside shot at the Gold Cup roster, performed at a high level, was brought back, and continued to perform at that level until he reached a point where he was maybe the first or second name on the team sheet. Torn Achilles, done for the season. Um you know, some people have kind of toyed with the idea that okay, well, it's not a summer World Cup; it's a you know November, December. Maybe there's a chance. I'm saying, uh, uh-uh. uh, absolutely not. Um, I don't see that at all. That's about it's six months from now. Uh, Aaron Long, who we'll talk about in a moment, had him torn Achilles. He came back, I think, started playing again in some form in eight months. After nine months, I think he was back playing first team football, and he was considered somewhat ahead of schedule, I believe. It's just. It is what it is. It sucks. It absolutely sucks on every on every level. I mean, first and foremost, it sucks for him more than anything else because, like I said, of the work he put in to get himself to this point. Um, that's just a brutal thing to have happen after he had done all of that. And as a fan of this U.S. team and looking ahead to the World Cup and getting excited about it, it sucks there too because he has proven himself to be a, an incredibly valuable piece to this team and that back line. Um, and so that's where we're at. And now, I mean, we can we can go through some of the possible replacements or or what will the team look like. But I guess before even that, I just got to say, like, what is happening in Atlanta? Like, this. Well, this, I, that's I, a dangerous question because we know what happened with Brad Guzan. Um, you know, we don't want to go down the road of saying it's definitely one thing or the other. This is. You know my feelings on. Oh, I've on never these. heard you defend artificial turf like this. I'm not, but I'm also conscious of like I don't really have. I can't point to to the data. Do you know what I mean, Andrew? I, I like to have the studies behind me, and I don't have it. So that's a problem there. You're going to conduct a study. I would love if someone would. Um, Brad Guzan not- is out with a torn Achilles. Um, their other goalkeeper also with an Achilles. Uh, Ozzy Alonso, ACL, um, and obviously now another Achilles situation with Miles Robinson. Joseph Martinez has been uh, in and out with, um, he had arthroscopic surgery on his knee. Um, This is, I don't know, I guess it can be a coincidence. I'm not here to say that it is the turf. Like that's, you're right. I also will conduct a study, which I will present at a later (laughs) time. but it's look, but it raise it has to raise eyebrows. It just I, but does. I, look. I've been saying it forever. E- even if it's you know if there's no direct correlation between landing on that surface and what can happen to Achilles or ACLs, even the fact it's just so it doesn't run normally. The ball goes way too fast, which means if your first touch isn't tight, you get involved in a collision where ordinarily on grass it, it won't happen. Um, I hate it. I, I hate watching games on it. It's. It is dreadful. I don't care. I'll, I'll argue that with anyone. It does not play the same way as a natural grass surface. Um, but again, you know, I can't. There's so much that's not provable. 
right now, even though my my hunch, my inclination is that the surface is an issue. Um, I feel terrible for Miles Robinson. Um, I feel really bad for Greg Berhalter, who's kind of been able to put together his his preferred centre-back pairings now, but it does open the door massively to guys who, and one guy in particular, who's probably going to be one of the top, at the end of the season, Scottish players in the running for Scottish Player of the Year, certainly Defender of the Year, in Cameron Carter-Vickers. So here's all the names. This is kind of what we're looking at. I've got them all in front of me. Tom Bogert uh, at MLSsoccer.com did a, a good breakdown of what this now means. Um, and, and it should be pointed out, first and foremost, that the nine U.S. men's national team games that Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson started together, they were 7-1-1, one, one. six clean sheets, a plus-16 goal differential. Their only loss was the final game of qualifying against Costa Rica, which they could have given up, what, six goals and, and been all right. So, um, so those two had developed a nice partnership. From there, we're now looking at this. Chris Richards, only three appearances since his broken foot in January, 35 Bundesliga appearances total. Um, I think he'll be on the team. If they, if they bring four, let's say they bring four center backs, maybe five if the rosters are, are allowed to be 26 men instead of 23. We'll see. Well, he um, can play fullback as well, so it's not really one or so, the other. Yeah, but uh, so if we assume Zimmerman is a lock, uh, I think Chris Richards is going to be on this team as well. Then we go to Aaron Long, who it felt like was one of Bearhalter's go-to guys before he suffered his injury. Um, he's back now. He scored over the weekend. Now, he was forced off yesterday in their uh, Open Cup match, I believe, with tightness in his calf. And for a guy coming off an Achilles injury, and then you see about a, a potential calf situation, you wonder if injuries are going to continue to be a concern with him moving forward. Um, so we'll have to see. Uh, Eric Palmer-Brown has now kind of put his name into the ring. He's playing regularly in Ligue 1, uh, and he's had a good season there. We'll see where that goes. Maybe he'll get more chances over the course of the summer. He, remember, was included in the U.S. squad for that last qualifying window. Uh, and then, J.J., the one you just mentioned, Cameron Carter-Vickers, who, I mean, it's just one of these names that's been around for so long. And he's only like, 24. And it's crazy he's that he's younger he's only than Miles Robinson. I know. Um, and he thrived for Celtic this year. And now... You're reading, again, rumors, but you're reading rumors of a possible move back to the Premier League. Uh, I saw Newcastle's name mentioned as a potential landing spot. So, like, I think he has to have put himself back on the radar with what he's done this season. 100% he has. I mean, there was just, there really wasn't the opportunity to bring him in um, at the time uh, because, like we said, it was in the midst of qualifying and, 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 you know, there was plenty of calls for him to come in for the last few games, but it didn't happen. I know the door is firmly open. Mm-hmm. Um, staying in Scotland, James Sands didn't really play as regularly uh, for Rangers. The thing he offers, if you include him in the squad, is the versatility of also going into defensive midfield. Um, right. But, but yeah. he he needs game time yeah, massively. We can play that, that one for That lone move really didn't work out. Uh, Mark McKenzie who it felt like in the beginning of qualifying was a player that they were going to give a chance to. And then when those chances came, it, it didn't really seem like he grasped that opportunity and subsequently felt like it feels to me like he's been passed by others. Now, JJ, we get to two names that are really interesting. Uh, the first one, you're going to roll your eyes, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to throw it in there. Tim Ream, old faithful, started every single game for full. Why would I roll my eyes? I don't know. That's just uh Bear Halter loves him. He's going to be back in the Premier League. 
started Man. every game this year. He's just reliable. And you just wonder, we've talked so much, for whatever we think of this U.S. team, one of the things that we worry about is the inexperience. He's 34. He brings veteran a veteran presence and leadership to that room, which at a World Cup is something that they might value. Uh, so that's one to keep an eye on. And then finally, the John Brooks conundrum. He's 29. He's going to leave Wolfsburg after what was a rough year. I have zero, zero idea how this plays out, what they think of him. Um, I respect the things that I've heard coming from Brooks, that he's kind of, instead of having a defeatist attitude about how this has gone, he's almost taken it as a challenge. He clearly wants to be a part of this team. Um, But I don't know. It doesn't feel like Bearhalter values him. That could be based on his form from this season and Bearhalter just feeling the urgency of not being able to kind of have a guy like find his form on their watch. They, it was too important for that. Do that on Wolfsburg's watch. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. But his name is going to be the one that is probably debated more than any other name over the next several months. I, I think so. And we're going to really find out what the manager actually thinks of him <laughs> because he's got to, he's, he's, he's either got to stick or twist. Is he going to bring him back in? Is he going to leave him in exile? We'll see. <laughs> leave him in exile. And we'll see where he goes too. Um, but it's just a shame because it felt, you know, and, and look, I had said at one of our last podcasts at the end of the qualification for the U.S. that for however much I was enjoying the Zimmerman-Robinson partnership, there were going to be questions for two MLS defenders who their their experience has been MLS and CONCACAF, and then getting thrown into a World Cup is going to be a big leap for them. So, you know, there, there were questions to be asked, but I felt like we had become pretty comfortable with that pairing, that it felt like, okay, we, you know, it wasn't a question on the team sheet. We kind of knew going into each game what it was, and those two guys were going to have a lot of experience playing alongside each other before that World Cup rolled around. Um, and that, unfortunately, has been wiped away with just another, uh, just a, a tough, just a tough blow, man. Just um, it's unfortunate, and perhaps more unfortunately, my prediction is not necessarily torn Achilles, but I don't believe that this will be the last injury that in some way affects the team that Greg Berhalter is going to bring to this team. All right, okay. I want to bring this segment to an end just based on the sheer depression. Uh, that's there all. will be. There I want will, people prepared for the worst, all right? There, there will be more injuries. People know that. Let's just, let's just hope they're minor and not as catastrophic as this one. Well, okay, they're Nostradamus. Well, all the best to Miles Robinson. You know, World Cup or not, get better, man, because we love watching you play. He seems like a good dude, a Syracuse guy, as well as I've mentioned many times before. Um, and we hope he gets well soon. He looked like he was in good spirits after his surgery. Um, I know this is a tough blow for him, but he's still young enough, and, and he's got many, many games and, and many years ahead in his soccer life. So all the best, man. Let's go ahead, JJ. We'll take one more break. We'll finish up on the other side with a couple other uh, smaller news and notes, and then, uh, and then we'll get out of here for the day and get you ready for a big FA Cup final. All right? How does that sound? It sounds perfect. All right, don't go anywhere. Oh, back again. On Caught Offside as we wind it down in this unbelievably busy week, heading into an unbelievably busy weekend. It's only Wednesday. I guess we're not really into the weekend yet, but I'm off to Philly, JJ, for my sister's wedding. Um, right, so, Zilla. So it feels, no, 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 that's not fair. That I can't stand by and have that. <laughs> 
sort of negativity in, in what is such a beautiful time. No, it's going to be a wonderful day for your family and for her to get married again. I don't know why you have to, to the be same like person. This. I don't know why you have to be like this and you can't just enjoy other people's. I'm not going to be. I, I wasn't invited. Well, I mean, have you ever met her? No, but okay, I feel so like what, we have a bond. Really? Yeah, because yeah. you, you both have dealt with me for many, many years. Oh, yeah, exactly. And we and and we have we have shared the battles of being close to Andrew Gundling. <laughs> uh, let's see, JJ's. We wind it down here. Some final news and notes. Everton with a um, boy from where they were two weeks ago to where they are now. It's not that they're safe by any means, but uh, their supporters can breathe. JJ, it, it, if if I'm breaking this down right now, I think a win today uh, against Watford will put them in fine position and will. Will leave Leeds United fans and Burnley fans, but really Leeds fans in, in quite a, a state of panic and a state of, of of severe trepidation about what is to come from them. But yeah, a win today would be huge for Everton and would uh, constitute a pretty big turnaround, albeit with the help, amazing, the help that came for, for Everton was in the form of Manchester United and Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Wins there were, were the big wins that have uh, propelled them I say propel them, have moved them into a position where they can they can think about being safe, where the opposite was the case a mere 10, 12 days ago. Yeah. I mean, we'll go back when this is over and look at, at Everton's season and just be completely dumbfounded by so much of it. Uh, and you know, Not really. We know exactly why it happened, and we know exactly why they're bad. We won't be dumbfounded. But we, 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 it's, still, it's still just the, the mere thought trying to rationalize Everton being relegated. That's the problem. Dumbfounded in the sense that the team that lost, you know, got blown away 4-0 by Crystal Palace was the team that then turned around and beat United and Chelsea. Like, I think beating there's United... There's a weirdness we, to them. We can nix beating United. Everyone is beating United. Brighton, Brighton, their, their landscape of goals is so barren. It's desert-like. And they managed four against United. So maybe we shouldn't be talking about United at all anymore. All right, then we continue. <laughs> um, there's a couple of things I wanted to get to, um, Andrew, mm-hmm. that are non-relegation uh, related, and 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 honestly, slightly more uplifting than what you've been serving up over the last twenty minutes. So, should we have not addressed Miles Robinson's torn Achilles? We absolutely should, but I I, I think that your predictions at the end of of how many more injuries to come, uh, a veritable <laughs> right. plague of injuries. Was, that's that's what? true. I went I went to a dark place. You did go to a dark place. Um, speaking of of I've got no segue. Uh, FIFA and EA Games, Andrew, have split in a... I mean, it's a dark place for EA Sports. It, Hmm. Yeah. I think it's a dark place for FIFA too. So this is from our friend Tariq Panja. Um, so th- their current deal, which was to end after this year's World Cup in Qatar, has been adjusted to run through to the Women's World Cup next summer. Once that tournament is over, the company said... 150 million FIFA video game players will have to get used to a new name for the series, EA Sports FC. The game itself will not change much. Most of the world's famous clubs and stars will still be playable because of separate licensing deals with their teams and leagues, even though the World Cup itself and other FIFA-controlled events will no longer be included. Still, the continuation of the game does not alter the seismic nature of the rebranding. So, if you think of what this game has done over three decades, it's it's washed the name of FIFA in the most cleansing laundry ever because 
despite all the scandals of the past decade, the past five years even, FIFA, the brand, the name, do you play FIFA? What's mm-hmm. your favorite thing to do? I like to I like to have FIFA and chill or whatever the kids are saying. Like FIFA was this this game that kind of just made that word not dirty and corrupt. That's a great and, point. And that association is now gone. Another point as well is that the arrogance of FIFA. So FIFA's plan, guys, is to go on. They're not going to stop here. They're going to make their own game. And the arrogance to think that EA Sports are the leader in this. The idea that they... FIFA basically lended the licensing to EA and made billions off it. EA did all the work when you think about it, when you break it down. It's it's their technicians. It's their programmers. It's all their work. The idea that FIFA can just walk away from this now because they want all the money. They want separate licensing deals. They want they want the majority of the cash. Basically, it fell apart because FIFA and Infantino wanted twice from EA what they were giving them. So 150 million was the deal. They wanted 300 million, mm. which was just a, an enormous figure. Um, but I, I, I think EA will survive this. I think FIFA's game, uh, I mean, it, the idea that it's going to be anywhere close to what they've created over the last three decades. Total nonsense. Yeah, it may drift into obscurity. The thing that they're relying upon is the is that brand name. That when people see that, oh, like that people just associate FIFA with the video game more than whatever whenever they see EA Sports FC. Um, so they're going to lean on that, I'm sure, heavily. But we'll find out just like how educated the consumers are. And whether or yeah. not their trust in EA Sports and the product that they put out trumps that of of whatever FIFA is now going to go and do with their third party vendor, because they'll look. I mean, you still talk to people who say that Pro Evolution Soccer was better than FIFA for um, a while. It it had a. Sweet I've never spot. played it. I won't even have it. I won't hear it. Not on this show. I'm a FIFA man, although right, maybe for, not but anymore. Like that was only for a couple of years, and then and then FIFA just completely steamrolled beyond it. And it was and it was certainly not a universally held team. It was held by me and another guy. <laughs> In where in the town I grew up in, anyway, let's move on from that because we, we'll, well, get I'll say this on. though about about that video game situation. Um, we talked about this before, uh, the various influences on American soccer culture. JJ, I put the video game right up there near the top. Like whatever you want to tell me, whether Huge. whether that be the development of MLS as a domestic league, or you know the men's world cup team qualifying for world cups obviously there in this country there's not really anything bigger than that but like the popularity of that video game and what it did for the growth of that of this sport in this country it's right there with almost anything else it, it Un- really unquestionably is. and i wonder if that i think that can still be the case um but we'll see if if a brand name change has the, that kind of impact on you know people's willingness to go out and spend i don't know uh, last two things for me. Uh, the first thing I'll deal with is that the Champions League format, <laughs> more format changes. They're changing the changed format. Um, so this is going to go from 2024. Miguel Delaney writes, the Champions League could feature five English clubs on a regular basis from 2024 after a major overhaul of the competition was agreed on Tuesday and up to seven in exceptional circumstances. Now, there will not be seven teams from England regularly, but there is a circumstance in which it could happen. So 
more than a year of intense debate about the best way forward for Europe's premier club competition following the collapse of Super League has concluded with UEFA deciding to award two places in a new expanded 3016 league system to clubs from the two countries who collectively performed best in Europe's club competitions in the previous season. So basically, if that scenario was applied right now, say, because Manchester City and Chelsea contested the Champions League final last season, there would be this um, this kind of performance. Um, I, I don't know how you describe this thing, this performance bonus. bonus. Yeah, bonus, I guess. That could see Man- a team like Manchester United or West Ham yeah, something it's, get in. It's almost but, like they've taken the idea of the coefficient and simplified it in some ways and put and like made it on a year to year basis kind of thing. The the upshot of it is that you are because of the dominance of the Premier League, the money fueled dominance of the Premier League, you're you're probably gonna see uh an additional team from England in the competition and they will be bad or not very good. Um, but they'll get there because this is just another kind of sop to the Premier League, I guess, who was instrumental uh, in the Super League push, and they want to keep the Premier League happy. Um, I mean, this whole thing bums me out just because... Stop messing with it. That's the thing. It's just like this competition, I don't know. Maybe people will say that I'm I'm like missing certain things and I'm choosing to not embrace change in some way, but like... To me, this competition is perfect, and I wouldn't have done a single thing to change it. Uh, and yeah, of course, I'll still watch it, and of course, I will still value it. Once you get to the knockout stage, it will ultimately kind of feel the same as how it is now. But I don't know the the stuff before that with the changes that they've made, and now adding in teams that it it doesn't feel like are going to be quite getting in there on merit, which is what makes the Champions League as special as it is. Um, it just it's a bummer to me. It just is. So, I don't know. I'm sure they have their their reasons. I'm sure money is behind those reasons. It's it's money, and uh, I think it doesn't. This is one where the the desire of the fans are not aligning with the desires of uh, UEFA or whoever's making these these decisions. It's just I think it's a shame. I do. Final so, one for me. Uh-huh. Uh The Wagatha Christie trial begins. For those of you who don't know what Wagatha Christie is, it's the the libel case that Rebecca Vardy has taken against Colleen Rooney over uh, basically an accusation that Colleen Rooney made that Rebecca Vardy was leaking information to national newspapers, the Sun in particular, about her private life. And the reason it's called Wag of the Christie, we have the Agatha Christie murder mysteries mm-hmm. and wag. So, you know, wives and girlfriends. So Wag of the Christie, um, and it's kind of funny and fascinating, but basically Colleen believed that someone on her Instagram, her private in Instagram, was leaking information and stories to the national u- newspapers. So she basically narrowed it down to Rebecca Vardy <laughs> and Rebe- Rebecca Vardy denied it. Uh, Colleen wouldn't take away the accusation. So Rebecca Vardy decided the only option o- open to her was to take a libel case against uh, Colleen Rooney 
Um, and so if you're going to follow two people, I would on this case, which is kind of hilarious and also frightening. Imagine, Andrew, your WhatsApp message has been read out in open court. It's pretty that interesting is, the way she went about doing it. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. At the BBC, it says over a series of months, uh, she, Colleen Rooney, wrote made up tales on her Instagram stories on her personal account, restricted who could read them and then waited to see if they would appear in the sun. Sure enough, they did. And through that, she was able to determine who it was that she believes was leaking them. Yeah. Um, so Minnie Stevenson writes, the long troll to Rebecca Vardy's WhatsApp continues at the high court. Rebecca Vardy messages agent Caroline Watt about Colleen's private Insta account. Colleen's Instagram. I wonder if they're going for baby number five. There were, a, there were occasions, this is quotes, there were occasions she would go into my account. Vardy says her agent sometimes had access to Colleen's private Insta account via hers. Um, there's also a football element. Jim Watterson from The Guardian tweets, Vardy is being cross-examined about text to her agent about Riyad Mahrez. Vardy, Mahrez not turned up to training again. The lads are fuming. Agent, really? Why don't you tell Sky reporter Rob Dorsett? Vardy, I just don't want it coming back on me. Hmm. Vardy is asked if the info came from the Leicester City dressing room, which included husband Jamie. Did you or did you not know what the lads were, that the lads were fuming? She said it was gossip I had heard and overheard. Jamie and I never discussed whether the lads were fuming. So it's, it's kind of interesting, interesting stuff. And um, it seems like you're all over it. Yeah, I kind of, I weirdly uh, this doesn't a, a feel like it, it. It fits your brand. It it doesn't. It doesn't. After watching uh, the Gascoigne documentary and the intrusiveness of the British tabloid media. Um, it kind of, it, it makes me very, because I, I've always thought someone has to collaborate with these, with these guys, mm -hmm. you know, they, they can't be just dirt bags on their own. Someone has to be feeding them stuff. And for Colleen Rooney to, to break the laws of the wags, I always thought the wags were a, a very close knit community of, of people. And I didn't think that one would go against the other like this. Like, I mean, the evidence to me. Is, is not good for Rebecca Verity. I agree, yeah. But then again, I also know very little about this, so uh, my opinion so, be damned, I would say. Andrew, we uh, began the show with farts and we ended it with wags. Unbelievable. It really was. You learned a lot today. This was fun, and what a few days are still to come. Uh, of course, uh, the North London Derby on Thursday, FA Cup final over the weekend, and then we're really into the final week. And all this stuff that we've been speculating on for all these weeks and months now, it'll all be determined about a week and a half from now. Oh, man, we are in it. We are in it. And then we've got uh, a Devonlings to look forward to shortly after that. So there's, there's a lot going on, as always, JJ. Hey, I look forward to seeing you in the near future. We'll be in touch, my friend. Good stuff to you, I say. Take you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 